Before reading the scripture, just wanted to um, make you aware that we've been seeking to support the church in Punta Gorda in the wake of Hurricane Ian, <clears throat> the Bethel AME Church. I think it's the oldest congregation in Punta Gorda. They lost their roof and lots of damage inside of their church. And we have, through your great generosity, have been supporting that church and getting a new roof and getting their church rebuilt. Uh, they're one of their matriarchs, uh, Sister Luella, just passed away this week, um, which is a devastating loss for that congregation. So we just simply ask for you to pray for uh, that church and to pray for the family of Sister Luella uh, as, we, um, as we seek to come alongside of these good folks in the wake of uh, another setback for them. Our scripture today comes from the Old and New Testaments, the first from the book of Exodus, the first chapter, beginning at the eighth verse. Hear the word of God. <clears throat> now a new king arose over G Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built supply cities, Python and Ramesses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians subjected the Israelites to hard servitude and made their lives bitter with hard servitude and mortar and bricks and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. And the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, kill him. But if the daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife even gets to them. So God dwelt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then from Mark's gospel, the seventh chapter. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, and he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And when she went home, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word 
made flesh and Jesus the Christ, where we pray this in his name. Amen. Sometimes your heart leaves you no choice but to face the danger. A few years ago, an incident occurred in the ancient city of Hebron on the West Bank, an area controlled largely by the Palestinian Authority. It involved five American tourists. The five were students and ultra-Orthodox Jews, and they were on their way to visit the Machpelah Cave, believed to be by many the ancient burial site of Israel's great patriarchs. The, the five young Jewish students, however, on their way to the site got lost, took some wrong turns, and ended up in the middle of a Palestinian neighborhood. And before they knew it, they found themselves under attack by a gang of Palestinians. Rocks were thrown, Molotov cocktails lobbed, the car engulfed with flames, and eventually the students pulled from the car in order for the, for the mob to begin beating them. Faiz Abu Hamadiah, a 51-year-old Palestinian Muslim and businessman who lived in the neighborhood, witnessed what was happening and without giving much time to think about it, ran into the street, interceded for the students, and along with his family, whisked them into his home to give them protection. Israeli security forces were called to rescue the young tourist. We gave them water to drink, said Faiz, and, and tried to tell them that they were safe, though they didn't speak any Arabic. Had Faiz Abdu Hamadiah given himself much time to think about it, he might have considered and weighed too heavily the potential consequences of his rescue attempt, not just in confronting the mob, but what, in, what occurred a few days later. The Palestinian and his family received death threats from their neighbors and pledges to burn down their house. A reporter, when interviewing Mr. Hamadiah, offered that he was a hero to which the Palestinian replied, I'm not a hero. I did it because I'm a human being. Sometimes your heart, the heart given you by God, leaves you no choice but to face danger. In Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey, which tells the tale of Odysseus' journey home from the Trojan War, a a journey fraught with perils and obstacles and temptations that threaten his safe return. In one such episode, one of the gods directs Odysseus and his crew to navigate the narrow straits of what we now know as the Strait of Messina, that thin passage between Sicily and Calabria. In the story, however, the narrow strait is guarded by two vicious sea monsters. The first, Scylla, this horrible creature with six long necks holding the heads of six angry dogs who wait to pounce on any mariners that should draw close to her side of the passage. On the other side is the monster Charybdis who takes the form of a giant whirlpool that sucks in the nearby waters and along with that the vessels afloat upon them. To draw close to Scylla is to risk that at least six of the crew will be devoured by the, by the dogs. To draw close to Charybdis is to risk the whole ship being sucked into a watery death. The strait itself is so narrow, it, you cannot avoid both monsters. You have to choose which one. One must choose sometimes which danger to face. And sometimes your heart, the heart given you by God, leaves you no choice but to face it. 
Today we call that being between a rock and a hard place, which is another way of describing those moments in life when you're presented with the difficult decision of choosing between two dangerous options, uh, the horns of a dilemma. Life has its way sometimes of taking us right up the Strait of Messina where are perched the great consequences of difficult choices and you and I are left to decide what's the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do? In his book entitled Between a Rock and a Hard Place, the late Republican Senator Mark Hatfield tells of a time in 1973 when he was asked to speak at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., and he found himself sitting at the head table between President Richard Nixon and Reverend Billy Graham. Fairly intense company. And for Senator Hatfield, the two men represented for him the horns of a dilemma, the very essence of a rock and a hard place. For the senator found himself divided between the leader of his political party, the president, and the recognized leader of his evangelical Christianity, Billy Graham. Hatfield reports that he never felt more alone than in that moment when he sat there between those two men because he knew that in a few minutes, driven by his Christian principles of nonviolence, he would show his true colors and stand and take the president to task over the Vietnam War. And yet when he stood to speak, Hatfield later recalled, a peace came to him because he knew he was doing the right thing, calling the nation to repent of its sin of Vietnam. But doing the right thing can be dangerous. It can mean a loss of friends. It can mean sometimes losing both sides. Later, Senator Hatfield received a letter of rebuke from Reverend Graham and was put on the president's hit list. What is the right thing to do? Which had to have been the question asked by the two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah, whose calling had been to serve as midwives for the mothers-to-be of the Hebrew women enslaved by the new king of Egypt. Theirs was the responsibility to usher into the world the children of the covenant, the children of God, who would someday inherit the promised land. Theirs was the responsibility with open hands to be the first human beings to welcome these precious children into the world. But then came the rock and the hard place then came Scylla and Charybdis. Then came the hard choice between right and wrong. For the new king, threatened by his subjects and slaves, as most kings are, the new king came to Shifra and Pua and ordered that in birthing these Hebrew children, they were to make sure that all the male Hebrew children die, that they, that they should be the ones, that she, they, those two should be the ones to bring about Israelite procreation to a halt. Now, when the king of the land tells you to rid to get rid of all the babies, you have to pretty much understand that it's going to be their next or yours. But then comes this incredible line in the story of the people of Israel. I think one of the most incredible lines in the whole story of Israel, the Exodus writer tells us, but the midwives, Shifra and Pua, feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. Shifra and Pua feared God. They did not do as the king commanded them. They let those boys live. 
the king of Egypt versus the king of creation. And they chose the king of creation, the king of death and the king of life. And they chose the king of life. But they chose the king of life knowing that it might likely mean their death. Is it going to be their next or is it going to be ours, they asked. And they said, well, let it be ours. You don't need much imagination to think of how those two women each day after letting a few more baby boys live, how they felt when they came home wondering, is this going to be the day when the king finds out and we're the ones who let them live? Doing the right thing has consequences, sometimes dangerous consequences and sometimes life-affirming consequences, and oftentimes both. Oftentimes the most dangerous choices lead to the most life-giving consequences. Now, if you're anything like me, and anything like most human beings, dangerous choices are what we try really hard at keeping off our menu. <laughs> we make life, why make life more dangerous than it already is? Why not steer clear of the Scyllas and the Crubitus altogether? Why not find another way around? Why make life more difficult than it needs to be? The answer, it appears, according to Scripture, is that sometimes your heart, the one given you by God, leaves you no choice but to face the danger. Sometimes there are monsters and evil kings to be conquered. Later we learn that one of those boys, Shifra and Pua, ushered into life, became the man God called out of the burning bush. And God says to Moses, you know, there's a monster back in Egypt, Moses, a new king, and you get to be the one who faces him. You get to be the one who tells him to let my people go. Because Moses, there are evil kings to be conquered. The young woman Esther is summoned to be the new bride of King Xerxes, the maniacal ruler of Persia who has been convinced to ethnically cleanse the land of all the Jews. Only she stands between her people and annihilation. To risk confronting the king is certain death. And her uncle says, well, maybe you're here for such a time as this. And she faces the monster and saves the people. The Israelites are face to face at a standoff with the Philistines and the Philistines have themselves one big monster named Goliath and nobody wants to face the giant and then a shepherd boy named David steps forth and says, let me try because there are giants that just have to be faced. Dangerous choices have life-giving consequences. And maybe that's what Jesus was trying to teach us when he decided to go to that region of Tyre and Sidon, otherwise known as Gentile land, otherwise known as enemy territory, a, a dangerous choice for a rabbi mixing with the unclean. And, and then he gets confronted by not just a Gentile, but a Gentile woman making Jesus, begging Jesus to make her daughter well. But the, but the first century rabbi has nothing to do, right? They don't have anything to do with Gentile women. So Jesus spouts the party line, I can't help you. I'm a Jews only kind of guy. But the mother insists he do something. And now Jesus is between a rock and a hard place. Heal this human being and violate moral, ritual, ethnic laws, putting his own reputation at risk or protect his reputation and stay pure and ignore the human being. Which danger will it be? 
Jesus, of course, chooses to heal the human being. Why, Jesus, you are quite the hero, we might ask. No, Jesus, we can imagine him saying, no, I'm just a fellow human being. And sometimes the human heart, the heart given us by God, leaves you no choice but to face a danger. Dangerous choices are the ones that bring life-affirming consequences. Life is filled with dangerous choices, right, that have life-affirming consequences. And I say filled because the truth is the world is full of human beings and the world is full of monsters, right? The world is filled with beautiful, wonderful human beings of all shapes, sizes, and colors. And the world is also filled with monsters. And the monsters have all sorts of names, like names like poverty and prejudice and racism and disease and cancer and drugs and addiction and human trafficking and child slavery and homelessness and war and refugees and rudeness and anti anti-Semitism and broken families and the list goes on and on and we can try to steer our ship away stay in our safe harbors or we can make difficult the difficult choice of steering toward them facing the monsters in our midst of in our midst choosing to do something about them raise money volunteer speak out protest advocate write letters assist the victims pray for those who hurt feed those who hunger tutor a child, pack groceries, and yes, those choices have their own consequences because the monsters want to push back. They don't go away. Not everyone's going to cheer for you. But it's the dangerous choices that often bring the life-affirming consequences. Philip Halley, in his most compelling book, Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed, tells the story of the little village of La Chabon in France, during the German occupation during World War II, in particular, he tells about the little Protestant church there in the village, a group of Huguenots who embraced peace and nonviolence. The pastor's name was Andre and his wife Magda, who quietly taught to their congregation the ancient paths of the Sermon on the Mount. It was the brutal winter of 1941, and the day came when a knock came to the door, and Magda, the pastor's wife, answered the door of the manse, and there on the front porch in the swirling snow stood a shivering German Jew, a woman who had been on the run fleeing the Nazi monsters. I've heard, she said, that this church is the kind of place that takes in people like you, like me. It was, of course, against the law to harbor Jews. And now here stands one, what do you do? You have four kids to raise, you have a home to protect, you have dreams to pursue, you have aspirations for which to live, but there on your doorstep is a shivering Jew. What do you do? You do the right thing. Come in, said Magda, come in. It was the start of 4,000 Jews being harbored in that little town. And at a dear cost, many of the church leaders were arrested and taken to the camps. Dangerous choices have life-affirming consequences. Isn't it amazing that when they start the story of Israel, when they thought to start the story of Israel, the whole incredible story of Israel, the story of the burning bush and the confrontation with Pharaoh and the plagues and the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea and the manna and the quail and the commandments and the journey to the promised land and the entry into Canaan, that they started the whole story by telling us that it all began with two women. Two women whose names would have been lost to time. They started the whole story by naming names, Shifra and Puah, 
And they said, remember those names. Because they were the two who faced the monster. These were the two who stood against the evil king. These were the two who, who took upon themselves the plight of their people. These were the two upon which the whole story hinged. These were the two who did the right thing and chose the humans over the monsters. It's the way that all great stories begin and it's the way that all the great stories end when some hero pauses and says, hero, no, just a fellow human being. Because sometimes the human heart, the one given us by God, leaves you no choice but to face the danger.